I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. I'm Shelley Johnson. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build the best cultures, the kind of culture that people can't wait to join and don't want to leave. If you want to work on your culture, let's chat. DM me on LinkedIn or Instagram, Boldside, and we can talk about how we can work together. Today on the show, we're joined by Theo Capodistrias, and Theo is an award-winning lawyer based in Hobart, Tasmania, and an award-winning speaker, trainer, and public speaking coach. Running his own business, you can find him at theocap.com.au where he helps build world-class speakers. His work has been recognised in the legal space, winning several awards, and has been named one of Australia's most influential lawyers by the Australasian Lawyer magazine in both 2022 and 2023. When it comes to Theo's speaking experience, he's an executive director and the licensee of TEDx Hobart, and he has a podcast called Craft Messages That Matter. And he delivered his own TEDx talk earlier this year titled Lessons from My Ethnic Lunchbox. Today, Theo shares so many insights about how you can become a better speaker, a better communicator, and ultimately increase your impact and influence at work. So you're going to enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Hey, Theo, welcome to My Millennial Career. It's so good to be hanging out with you. Thanks, Shell. It's great to be here. So Theo, I want to jump straight in because I have a, I have so many questions for you about building your communication and public speaking or presentation skills. So I'm just going to dive straight in. I want to know, what is the impact of building your public speaking and presentation skills at work? The impact in my opinion, is huge. I think we underestimate the value that communication and public speaking has on a person. And it's one of the leading leadership skills. I think people often think that, oh, because I've done speaking before, I don't really need to improve it. But it's one of those things that we can all improve and all focus on. And as a leadership skill, when we look at politicians, we might not know anything about their policy or their position on something, but we will judge them on how they speak and present almost always. Like I think a great example is Jacinta Ardern. I know nothing about her. I know absolutely nothing about her policies, what she's like as a politician, but listening to her speak, I love her and I trust her and I think, wow, what an amazing leader. That is only based on how she communicates. So as leaders... If we are able to communicate effectively and well, and particularly in a, you know, in a big audience with our public speaking skills, we can inspire, we can demonstrate our value, we can show how trustworthy we are and how excellent we are as leaders. So really, I, I just think the impact is phenomenal. I think it's such a good example with the politicians that how you trust them is how they communicate and how they speak. And I think about Obama and how, I mean, I don't know anything that happens in the U.S., political landscape really like I don't know the ins and outs it's all very complex to me but anytime he would speak I'd like listen because I I think oh wow he communicates so well and in this compelling way but he also connects with the listener like with the audience and I I had read a part of the book from his speech writer around how they would structure his public speaking how they would structure his presentations because I was so like captivated by his style. What is it that great speakers do or what are the, some of the things that great speakers have in common when they get up and present? I think with speaking, you know, it's so unique to the person and what makes it really special for each individual is if they can show their authenticity. So I think if you are able to demonstrate, hey, this is me, this is who I am and 
I'm speaking in a way that's authentic and true to me, then you're going to win the audience over. I mean, there are so many things you can do to improve your speaking and in terms of how you communicate and present to an audience that will definitely make people want to listen a bit more. So being able to speak in an active tone, for example, really important. Being able to use pause as well and articulate words really well and use storytelling really well. But I think all of that can be learned. I think a lot of the time, those are skills that can be learned and built and create something that is special and unique for the person speaking. I think generally speaking, if as long as you're being authentic and being true to yourself and people can see that you're not trying to put on a fake persona or pretend to be someone else, then you'll win people over that way. Often if you're just reading something, you have that disconnect between you and the audience, so you're not connecting, and it doesn't feel true. It doesn't feel real, which is why I think so many people use like a teleprompter or they've become really adapt to just remembering everything they're saying because it gives them the opportunity just to freely connect with the audience, which I think is number one. If you can see someone's eyes and you can you can see their face and you can understand them, it's going to help. It's, it's going to be like one of those key things. But yeah, I think so many things are, so many things can be learned. So I don't think people should ever feel that, oh, I don't speak in this way or I don't present in this particular way. So that means I'm not a good speaker. I don't think that's true at all. A lot of that stuff can be built and developed. It's really interesting what you're saying about authenticity, because I think one of the things that we really, oh, well, for me personally, I'll speak for myself. I, you can really gauge when someone's being inauthentic, when they hop up and speak. So they might try to, it comes across like a performance or there's like, it feels like they're, I don't know, it's kind of when people put on the, the camera voice or the microphone voice, the newsreader, and all of a sudden they go from this voice to, hi, I'm Shelley Johnson and I am blah, blah. And you're like, Ew. <laughs> I mean, my like inauthenticity radar is like, no, I don't like that. I, I, I went to, and I know we, you and I have talked about this before, uh, Matt Church, I went to a course that he was running and he talked about this thing for leaders when they speak. And he said, it's state over script. Mm. And to me, that really, I, I've taken that away and and he and just kept cycling that through. Anytime I have to get up and present or do a, a course with a bunch of people where I feel like nerves start to kick in, it's that idea of it's not about the script as much as it's about your headspace going into that. What are the things that Theo, from your perspective, you feel like people can do to get into a good headspace before they get up to present. Maybe they're running a team meeting or maybe they're getting up to present something to all staff and they feel those nerves start to kick in. What's, what can we do to get into the right zone or the right state of mind? Mm, some of the things I do with my TEDx speakers, because I run TEDx Hobart, is initially tell them, you know, let's do some affirmations. Let's just give yourself something to mentally prepare yourself. And that is, you know, depending what the situation is, I think going to a team meeting, it could be, I don't need to be the expert. I just need to contribute and telling yourself that over and over and over and over, because sometimes I think people get very stressed out in those sort of settings where, oh my God, if I don't know the answer to every question, if I don't, if I can't answer everything that's being presented to me, I'll, I'll come across as dumb. That is not the case at all. Really. It's just about being able to prepare and know that you just have to make a contribution to that to that meeting and present as best as you can you don't have to necessarily know every single answer so affirmations as silly as it can, might sound is so good to prepare yourself because our brains are a bit silly as long as you tell yourself something enough you'll start to believe it which is which is super important and i guess with that as well anytime you are nervous telling yourself that you're actually not nervous, but you're excited is a way to also convince yourself that this, my body's feeling something. And rather than think that it's terror, it's actually excitement because our body does the same thing. The same reactions end up being one and the same, which I think is really weird, but, but pretty awesome at the same time. And Another thing I love to do with people before getting up to speak or present or whatever it might be is 
breathing activities. And my favorite one is box breathing because it's so easy to remember. So for those that aren't familiar with the concept of box breathing, it's where you breathe in for four seconds, you hold that breath for another four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, and then you hold for four seconds. And you just keep going like that. And you can build a little box as I'm doing a little square like I'm doing right now um, to help remember what you should be doing at a particular time. And that just calms you down so much to the point that you can just get up in front of a room and speak and be really comfortable knowing that you're going to just make an awesome contribution and you don't need to be the expert, but you just need to be there and be present and be yourself. I love box breathing so much and I've used that technique quite a bit when I feel the nerves or maybe I, I describe it sometimes if I feel like that sense of anxiety about something that I'm about to do. Box breathing, it's just such a useful way. You can even feel your heart rate slowing down when, you, mm. when you're doing that activity. I think it might have been you, Theo, when I was talking to you at a different time and so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like maybe you've told me that when you hop up, you breathe out before you start. Was that you? Or am I just making this up? Oh, I think I may have. We may have so spoken about that. I think, yeah, you, you get up on the stage, if it's a stage or in the room, and give yourself that moment. Center yourself, have that moment, give, do a big breath out, and then you can go. And then it does make you feel a bit more comfortable. That's what I found. And I think like that idea of releasing breath before you start to me is counterintuitive because when I have got up, I remember, and you, know, you and I have spoken about this before, but I, the listeners wouldn't have heard this story, but I'll tell you my worst ever speaking experience. <laughs> so I was like getting up in front of, I would have been about 150 staff and I was a HR manager and it was, it, I can't remember exactly the year, but the financial performance of the business hadn't been as strong as previous years. And one of the decisions that we made was that we wouldn't do an annual pay increase that year, that we would hold the rates and we would review within the next six to 12 months. And so I was essentially announcing to staff they weren't going to get a pay rise that year. So it was a terrible message to deliver. Like I just remember thinking, this is the worst day ever. This is like every HR manager's nightmare to get up in front of staff and be like, hey, good news, you're not getting a pay rise. Like, anyway, that was what I had to do. So I hopped up and I had like my notes with me and it was honestly a public speaking nightmare. Like it's something that you would, you would be like, gee, she needs some coaching. So I hop up, I was like so nervous because I'm like, firstly, the message sucks. Like I don't want to tell people this. Secondly, there's 150 people watching on and I've just got the, the segue was like, now Shelly is going to come up and talk to you about your pay. And everyone's like, eyes lit up. Like they're like, oh, pay, woohoo. And then I'm getting up, I've got like a, a script and I just hop up and I breathe. I remember like going, like, it's like you're, you're feeling up, like, you're like, here we go. Like, you know, when you go underwater and you hold your breath and it's like the stress of like, that's what it was like. It was so stressful. So I, I get in and then what I did there <laughs> is I, oh my gosh, it's bringing me back to the moment. I just read word for word the script and I essentially just said, we would like to advise you that you will not, <laughs> will not be getting a pay rise this year, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, then I, it was the worst. Everyone, it's like crickets. Like just absolute, like you could hear a pin drop. And I hopped down and then the guy who was emceeing the staff meeting goes, and everyone give it up for Shelly. Oh, <laughs> it was <no>. like, <laughs> like it was just so awkward. And that was one of my first like big speaking things in, in that job that I was doing. It was just the worst. And I, it stayed with me because it's everything now that I would say never do, like never read off the page word for word when you've got a difficult message. I just didn't pay attention to the audience at all either. I didn't really empathise with them. I was more just thinking about the fact that I was in a crappy spot. So it was all about me. I was so nervous. I didn't have any strategies to manage the nerves. 
And I didn't explain the why of the decision either. So there's so many things that I feel like, oh, gee, I'd go back and do that totally different now, like years, years later. But what are you, like, what do you hear when you hear that story? Like, are you like, oh, yes, classic. This is classic, like, 101, do not do. <laughs> it is a classic 101, do not do. But you know what? We've all been in those situations, so it's totally fine, and we learn from it. So, you know, look at you now, Shelley. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there where you were saying there was just no consideration of the audience. I think getting up in a room, I think I think the lead up was not great either. Shell's going to get up and talk about pay. Oh, exciting. <laughs> like, great. Like, energy goes up. And then it's the, we wish to advise that. Like, oh, okay, this is really formal. You're not thinking about me as a person. It sounds very clinical. It's like those rejection emails you get when you apply for a job. We had a large number of applicants. Like, yeah, <laughs> but I'm an applicant. Yeah. I feel sad. And I think, yeah, there, there is a level of empathy that may not have existed because it was just a clinical message, mm. which, you know, is never great. So we always have to think about any time we speak or present or communicate, email, whatever, who am I talking to and how do they want to be spoken to? How will this be received? And I think if we think about that and imagine that initially, it gives us the structure to then think about, well, how do we actually craft this in a way that will be acceptable for them to listen to and to understand? Because you could capture it to say, everyone, this year has been hard. This year has been really hard and I think it's shown because our performance hasn't been great. We're not doing as well as we'd like to. And with that, it means it means that we all have to suffer a little bit. So this year, we will not get a pay rise. I won't get a pay rise. No one will get a pay rise. And then maybe explaining, getting more into that, just to, I guess, couch it in a way that is a bit more acceptable for the people listening and for them to understand where it's coming from rather than a a clinical generic chat gpt written response yeah it's funny <laughs> what you're saying about like the the chat gpt vibes of like when something feels going back to what you said up front when something feels inauthentic or it feels corporate or like there's jargon so we wish to advise you it's instantly disconnects the listener, the audience from that because you're like, this is not language that I would use. And and if it sounds like a policy, mm. I think that's like a sign that, okay, we need to we need to communicate in a conversational way. And for some of us, that can be really hard because the nature of our jobs, like I know as a HR person, like for so long I would speak in policy talk because I wrote everything was written in this really formal business writing way. So then when I would get up and say something and it would sound like, it just wouldn't sound conversational. So I, th- I think when we're preparing, and is this something that you work with your clients on around how do you prepare your message to have that conversational tone that really engages the listener or the audience? Yeah, I do. So I run a workshop called Turning the Technical into the Practical. And it's basically grabbing all of that technical knowledge and expertise that we have and thinking about how we communicate that in a way that is appropriate and easy for the audience to understand. I ran this little workshop last week in Sydney at a legal conference, and I had people coming up to me after saying, oh my God, I need you to come into my team to help me with this because they sound like robots. They just sound (laughs) like robots. And I thought, I know, I get it. Because I think with very professional roles like HR and legal and accounting and finance, all that good stuff, we get taught all of this really technical jargon, which is important for our particular industry, but the only people who understand it are other people in our industry. (laughs) But the people we need to talk to are people on the street, our clients, internal within the business, and they don't get it. They don't want to get it. They don't care. They don't need to get it. They're asking you a question about something where they need your help. So how do you provide them that advice in a way that they understand that's appropriate for them in a way that is actually solving their problem and not speaking in gobbledygook, which so hard to do. It's such a skill, but when you can get there and perfect it, then 
your life becomes so much easier and people then really understand what your value is because they say, oh my God, Shell just explained this really weird um, thing in the Sex Discrimination Act so well to me that I just get it. I just understand what we need to do to comply with that now. Yeah, and it's how do you make that complex thing simple? Mm. And it's funny, the irony of making something complex simple is that it's complex to do. It <laughs> like is. It's, it's difficult to make something very technical and, like, uh, like, you're a lawyer, you get it. Lawyers do have the tendency to communicate like robots just like HR people do as well. Like I'll say that from the outset. So... If you are able to master this skill set, though, it can be a huge point of difference. Huge. Because it makes you stand out it, it, and it makes other people around you feel smarter, feel more intelligent. Like the way I, I once worked with a person years back, like in my very first proper kind of career gig, and he used to speak what I would describe as like pseudo-intellectualism which in itself itself is the, it's like the, that is the word pseudo intellect. Like he was like a pseudo intellectual and he would communicate, he would speak in words that the, just the common person would not understand. And I remember feeling dumber every time I spoke to him because he would say words that I just wouldn't get. And that was part of his strategy, I think, to come across as really intelligent. And now that I'm more mature, I think, you know what? It is. When you make the people around you feel smarter, feel more intelligent because you make something that's complex, simple and easy to understand, everyone gets better from that. Like that is a beautiful service. And I think anytime we get up to speak in public, we need to have that mindset of this is a service to this person. It's actually not about me and how I come across. Like I, and I think that was my mistake with that example I shared. Like I was really focusing on myself not focusing on it's a this message is a service to the audience exactly exactly that's one of the big things i promote as well and that's one way we deal with nerves as well if you take the focus away from yourself and say no i'm here to serve i'm here to provide a message that matters for people then you become far more comfortable which is why introverts are actually far better speakers because they have more empathy towards their audience and they actually care about delivering a more impactful message that's going to help people compared to extroverts who just want the attention and love being on stage and will just talk for the sake of talking. Me, what, me? But um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had to learn, I've had to like really focus in on thinking, oh, no, it's about the audience. It's so about the audience, like, not even a thing about me. Like if I'm there, I'm providing a service. Speaking is a service. And mm. my I need, I'm there to serve the audience and provide them value because this is their time. Like they're giving up an hour or 40 minutes or whatever it might be to listen to me. And if they're going to listen to me, they're going to love it. And they're going to get value out of it. I think that reminder that if they're giving up an hour and there's 200 people in the room that you're speaking to, or even if there's 50 people in the room, that's 50 hours. So you need to remember that like they're investing a considerable amount of time. And one of the things that I see, the pitfalls, I think we go to two extremes. We either wing it and we think, uh, and we're like, oh, it's only an hour. I'll be able to get up and wing it. But we forget that it's you know, 50 people's one hour, it's a huge investment of their time. Or we go to the other extreme where we over-prepare, over-script and we go so detailed that we kind of get into our own heads about it. Talk to me about how you recommend people prepare to get up. Let's say this person listening right now needs to do a 20-minute presentation on a new product feature that they're delivering to, to the workplace that's really important and has like a change management thing attached to it. What sort of things should they do to prepare for that presentation? Love it. I have done, I think I've done a little podcast episode on this, but there's definitely a process. So I think the first thing, number one, is do your research. Understand the topic so well and what it is that you are going to be providing to that audience. So really get clear on that information because you're the one providing that information, so you need to be like really across it. 
Number two is properly understand who your audience is. Who are these people? Who, what do they need to know? Why are they here? How can I provide value to them? The third is preparing information. So creating that structure. Think about your structure. And with that structure, you should have no more than three key points. So that's the absolute maximum amount you want to be able to provide people. And then with each of those key points, you want to be able to break that down even further to say, okay, I need to then appeal to people who have a left brain, so more um, analytical, stats, facts, that type of stuff. And then people who are right-brained who love pictures and stories and videos. So for each key point, you want to be able to have some factual information, some statistics, but then also back it up with a story or a picture. So then you are actually hitting everyone in the room for each of those main points. Then once you've gathered up all that information and you know like the structure and it all kind of works and flows very well, you can, if you're going to do like a, a slide deck or other material, you can prepare that. That should be the one of the last things you do because you need to figure out what you're saying first. And then so important to rehearse. So once you've got everything and you've created all your materials, practice. How does it sound? Because you don't want to be reading notes. Totally fine to refer to notes. Absolutely. Refer to notes, but don't stand there reading them word for word because we've all been in those situations and <laughs> we don't want to be there. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. We don't. So referring back to notes is fine. And then preparing yourself. So doing those breathing activities, giving yourself those affirmations, being centered, breathing out and speak. And you're good to go. And then presentation done. How good. So good. When you talk about rehearsing, what does that look like? Like how do, how do you recommend people practice? So I've got a few methods I recommend. And one is definitely record yourself. So if you can uh, create like a little video and record yourself, but then break that down into two, a couple parts. Firstly, listen, listen, but don't watch. It's so important to hear how you speak and just give yourself that audio only because then you can pick up on things that you might not otherwise pay attention to because you're distracted by how you look. Then watch without audio. Like it could just be your, your face without the notes and that's okay. Um, just see what your face is doing because it you might realize, oh, I do something weird. Like I know I do weird things and that's okay. I, I'm fine with that. But it's, it's good to be aware of it. And then it's really important to then go back and listen and watch and then refer back to your notes and think, okay, these are things I, I want to improve on or things I've noticed about myself. And then keep going down that path. Keep recording, listen to it, and then with doing that, you actually create this fantastic way of just practicing and rehearsing. Mm -hmm. And from there, you can you can just, you know, read it to yourself, read it out loud. That sort of stuff helps to get it into your, into your brain, uh, reading it before you go to bed, reading it when you wake up. Those are the best times to sink information into your brain as well. So doing stuff like that is super useful to rehearse and prepare. When you say people do weird stuff with their face or their body language, what what things are common that you recommend you people be aware of? Uh, I mean, for me, I do. I like squint my eyes sometimes, and I think, what am I? Why am I doing that? Like, <laughs> it just makes my it makes me look look not trustworthy. Or I might have like an angry face. Like, I'm like what? Why? Why do I do that? What am I doing? Uh, I think. You can notice as well if you're smiling when you say something because you can hear it. I'm like, oh, yeah. that person's happy and that's nice. So being aware of those sorts of things is important because it, you might come across a bit, it might be a bit strange um, to an audience if you're just scowling the entire time. I mean, depending what the talk is, of course, and what you're presenting. But yeah, I think those are important things to be aware of for yourself. Sometimes, yeah, hands can do funny things. Mm. So people might often stand there and it looks like they're carrying invisible suitcases, and that's never good. <laughs> Sometimes using a little bit of hand gesture is great, but you don't want to force it. Um, I find be being Greek, I'm using my hands all the time, all the time. 
the yeah. number of coffees I've knocked over. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, that sort of stuff just helps to create that authenticity as well because it, you're being who you are and using your hands kind of is natural to me. So that's important. Um, and if people aren't using their hands, it, it might look a bit funny, but I wouldn't force it either. So it's a, having that mix of, you know, some gesticulation is important if, if um, you're doing something, but you don't want to force it on people if it's not true to who you are. Mm. Uh, the other thing I've seen that I've noticed can sometimes be a bit weird when people are speaking. So I've seen it in like uh, uh, team meetings sometimes in like really big, important team meetings where someone will get up and present, but they'll only, when they speak, they'll only look at the most senior people in the room. Mm. And I have seen that quite a bit, or they'll only look at one particular person instead of like the way their eye contact comes across then makes you feel disconnected as an audience member because you're like, oh, they're not, they're not only looking at like a key person, not the collective group, or they don't make eye contact at all. So they might look up because they're nervous what what do you do with your eye because <laughs> eye contact is really important and it's funny we're talking a lot about communication but your non-verbal communication is just as important as what you say yeah. what do you recommend in terms of eye contact with the audience i try and give everyone a, a balance view so i i want to look to the left i want to look to the right i make sure that i give attention to all parts of the audience because they do want, i want them to feel like they're involved and engaged and, you know, sometimes we might feel super, super uncomfortable speaking and looking around, but you'll always have a number one fan in the audience, regardless of the situation, even if it's like the shittest presentation you've ever given, you will <laughs> always have a number one fan. So if all else fails, find that person who is just nodding, smiling, engaging with you and focus on them. But then make sure you look around the room as well because that stuff is important because people want to feel like you're talking to them. Mm. And when we communicate as well, rather than using the, hi, everyone, because that's talking to a group, just, hey, so good to see you. I'm going to talk about blah, 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 that type of stuff because then you're talking to one person. And you is plural, so great to see you. Technically not wrong. It's you Collectively. Collectively. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that helps to kind of create that that connection with the audience as well. It's really cool what you're saying about finding the number one fan. And, like, I reckon if you do that in the first couple of minutes, that can boost your – it gives you that little bit of dopamine. It can boost your kind of, like, confidence. A friend of mine, Rowan Dredge, he called it lighthouse people. He's like, you find the lighthouse person and you just keep going back to them. If you start to get nervous, they're nodding, they're smiling. And then I, I just, I, the other thing that's really cool about that is that if you're listening to this podcast, you can be that person for someone else. Like I love when you see people get up, you, you might know they're nervous and you're there smiling, nodding, you're engaged as a listener you are helping that person. Like, and I think that's really powerful. It's like be the number one fan for someone else. Like, because getting up in public, public speaking is one of the biggest fears people have. People fear, fear public speaking. Like, isn't it like equally to death? Like that's it's the right. More than death. So yeah, Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> said that um, people are more afraid to speak than they are to die. So you're better off being in the casket than you are giving the eulogy, which is... <laughs> ridiculous it's wild but it is terrifying so like you can be that number one fan for someone nodding along being engaged and I mean this is the problem I think like we have at least one rant on every podcast episode here's the here's the one this is the problem with cameras off in zoom meetings because we have no lighthouse people we have no way of engaging and showing up so if you're the person with the camera off every meeting Sometimes it's good to turn it on and show up and be engaged, and that's my rant. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Oh, I I have never had my camera off. Even in a bus and I've got all these people around me, I'm holding my phone and I'm there. I'm present because it's so important. Like if we're engaging in this virtual world, and I work remotely now, so 
if people don't see me and don't know how to engage with me, they don't get that trust. And that's so important. We need to see people's faces. We need to mm. see what they're doing. Like, totally. Yeah. Oh, 100% agree. And I think it's just like the ability to show up and engage and be actively present in these meetings is just so important. And and it, when you don't have physical proximity to people because you work remotely, that's actually how you get noticed as well. Mm. So it's beneficial to you, even if it takes emotional energy because you have to see your little face in the corner of the screen, which, you know, is draining. Hide the hide the thing. Like, anyway, an aside, I'm gonna we're gonna go to a quick break, and when we come back, I want to hear. I've got, I've got a few more really practical questions because I know people are gonna be wanting to take notes so that they can go away and practice everything that you're teaching. Let's go to a break. We'll come back in a sec. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. So it's designed for people who are professional service providers, business owners, and entrepreneurs who really want to figure out the best way for them to present and speak and do all of that good stuff, but don't have the time. So created a really easy to digest online course, which people can just buy, get all the videos, get the workbooks, do it in their own time and play around give it a go and practice. So how do people find out where to get that from, Theo? You can head to my website, theocap.com.au, and you'll find it right there. Amazing. We'll have the link in the show notes. But if you're listening, you're like, I need to do this course. I really want to invest in my public speaking skills and your ability to communicate. Jump on. Don't wait. Buy it send it to your team, send it to your team leader, get your work to invest in it. It's so worth doing. And I think it is, as you mentioned up front, Theo, it's one of the skills that is most crucial for leadership, but also one of those skills that helps you get promoted. Like if you can master your ability to communicate, you stand out, it's a competitive advantage. So jump on, do it, sort it out. Let's go to this question about how you build your confidence to speak up when you've got executives in the room, you've got some really senior people and you'd want to impress them and you want to like stand out. What what can we do to build confidence? Such an important question. And I think a lot of the time, this is something I tell people all the time, like you can be the smartest person in the room, but if you can't communicate that expertise, you won't be valued for it because you are your ability to communicate. So if you want to impress people, 
with your expertise and your knowledge, you need to be able to communicate it in a way that is going to be appropriate for them. So you build that confidence initially through doing the work, doing the practice runs, structuring it in a way that you know works for them. So if you're thinking, oh, I have to speak in front of the CEO, what is the CEO like? How does he want information? Like I know for some of the past few jobs I've had, the CEOs have generally just wanted quick, easy to digest info. So being able to present it in a digestible format for them, with them in mind, is going to have you streets ahead of everyone else. So understanding yet that audience piece, super critical. And creating the material to act like to essentially serve them and be what they need to then show that you understand them, you understand the topic, and you're adequately able to provide them this information in a way that is appropriate for them. So really what we want is just to be able to present and provide it in a way that is going to hit the mark for them. And it can be intimidating thinking, oh man, like these are senior people, but they want the best for you. Like they don't, they don't want you to fail. Like they're investing their time and money into you as an individual and you're part of the business, you're part of the company. So they want you to succeed. So you shouldn't be afraid. Oh my gosh, like they're so senior, they're so important. That's all right. They're people. They're mm. people and you're a person too. And we're all here to do the same thing. It's the same reason why we're, we all get up to do this job every day. So we're all there to support each other. And I think that's really important to remember as well. Like we're not, no one's there to get you. It's there to provide that value and that support. And you want to get noticed, then you've got to put yourself out there, but you've got to do it in a way that is appropriate for that audience. Yeah, you do have to put yourself out there. And I love that reminder that you need to remember what does this person want? What style do they like to be presented? And what I think going back to how you said they want concise information. I think mm. that is like seriously the key. Oh, like huge. how do you get to the point? <laughs> we just get to the point. And like, I don't know, I think I think we overlook that sometimes. We try to like overcomplicate things, but really being clear being concise and then finding a way to, I think, add some humor in. If you can do those three things, you're going to crush it. Crush it. And with that as well, I've got a little methodology I like to apply to present information in a way that's just super easy to digest. It's the what, so what, now what? And I love it. It's my favorite. It's super easy to remember. So the what is the question you've been asked or the question that you're presenting on and being able to really articulate that sort of factual piece first. So I've been asked to tell you about the results from the latest campaign, blah, 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 blah. The so what is then the practical element or the advice piece or the results and what that means and what that looks like. And then the now what is the call to action or the what's next or the the actionable piece that someone might take away as a result of hearing this other stuff. And you're able to piece that together and you have this beautiful structure that you can use however you wish and you can use it for any sort of context and format, whether it's speaking or an email. I use it for my legal advice all the time. Like it's the what, so what, now what in a letter or an email, or a few dot points, packaged up, and then people get it. They're like, all right, so that's what I've asked. That's what I, that's what the analysis of the law is in a nice little bundle. And this is what we need to do now. This is the recommendation from the lawyer. So let's go do that. Yeah, I love that. It's so simple. What, so what, now what? And you can always structure, if you're preparing to present at an upcoming meeting, you can just structure your communication in that, you rehearse to that, you do all your practice and just having that formula can help us to know, okay, because I think we see the like cursing, the is the cursor blinking at us when we're trying to write this stuff. We're like, oh, what are we supposed to even say? But I love that formula. I want to kind of, I guess, go to a final question for you, Theo. And it's a two-part question because I love a two-part question just to complicate things. <laughs> so I would love to know in closing, what do you feel like some of the best things you've seen from public speakers and some of the worst things you've seen? Oh, 
so good. The best things I've seen, and I'm going to take this to my TEDx experience. I think the best things I've seen are when people really understand why they're there and why they're presenting. So when you know why you're there and being able to provide that as a service to people, your message is elevated so much more. And then the audience is able to connect with that. I I think back to, I think about the first TEDx I ran last year, and there was this one speaker who was telling her story about leaving from her hometown of Iran and some of the challenges she faced in that journey and coming to Australia and then just finding more adversity through being a woman with an ethnic background and then just her fight to like continue on and do all of these amazing things to then create this whole new program and you know the work that she's doing now it was just amazing and I think back to that talk and how she just nailed it she was so nervous as well because she had an accent like English isn't her first language but then she got up and did an 18 minute talk without notes and presented in the most authentic way that was true to her that just hit every spot that you would want in a public speaking presentation basically just use brilliant slides use really great pacing use pause as well told stories that just hit the mark and were explained well it was just epic and i think i I use her as just like the epic example of what you should do as a public speaker and then i've seen terrible (laughs) terrible public speaking and one example is from an early early days of my law law life where a senior person in my team said, Thea, we're going to go present on this really complicated legal matter. I want you to do the research for it. I said, yeah, sure, I'll do the research. So I pull up a you know a few thousand words about this t- legal topic, which, oh, so boring. <laughs> Hand it to her and she says, okay, great, I'm going to put this into a presentation and we're going to speak to the marketing team. One hour of going through a slide deck of black text on white background, Times New Roman, (laughs) and each dot point was read out. And then someone said, why couldn't you just email this to me? (laughs) And I thought, oh, my gosh, you're so true. Why am I here? I don't want to be here. It was awful. But um, one thing I made for that, because I thought I need to contribute somehow. So I created an, an infographic. It was like a one-pager. And people were like, well, why couldn't we have just been given this? I thought, true. But going back to the moral <laughs> of the story, like the terrible thing of just boring slides, uh, reading in- to people, especially a very complex technical area, did not hit the mark. And it did not think about the audience at all. These are marketers. They love data, but they love stories. They love colour. They're fun. So <laughs> yet you're giving them the most dense information ever. Come on, come on. That's not thinking about your audience at all. Yeah, that's such a good example. And I can see the slide deck right now in my mind. Like mm. all of the dot points, very small writing, so much filled in on page, but so many slides as well, no images. Like I can just see it now going, oh, yeah. And people's just, they glaze over. Yeah. It's just like instant glaze. Instant. <laughs> I love it. I think it's such a good example and something that so many of us have probably fallen prey to. I think to, for me, one of the things that I love out of this conversation, so many parts that I've loved out of this conversation is really, I think the big idea and the essence of if you want to become a great speaker, if you want to become someone who presents really well, you have to remember the audience yeah. and you have to remember that you're there in service of them, not in service of you. Exactly. Yep. It's so helpful, Theo, and I've loved this conversation and I feel like I've cackled with laughter a lot because I can relate to so many of these examples that you've shared. (laughs) I just want to say thanks so much for coming and hanging out on the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, can you tell us all the ways they can connect? Yeah. 
feel free to find me on LinkedIn because I'm always lurking there. I love Instagram. So my handle is theocap88, same as Twitter or X, whatever it's called now. Not that I use that much. <laughs> uh, and I have a Facebook like page as well. So you can find my name and it pops up as a Theo Capodistria speaker and coach. And you can find me, find me there. Of course, also my website, theocap.com.au. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And if you enjoy the show, share it with a friend, get it out there and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. Thanks heaps. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.